Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. You know, for the last 14 years, my wife and I, um, we've been going into high schools and sharing our stories. We bring a just say no to drugs message into the high schools. And don't we know that we need that message in our communities today? Don't we know that we need young people to actually start to believe in something greater and actually start to stand for something? Because when they're not standing for something, they're actually been taken to the left and to the right and and into all sorts of crazy stuff. But, you know, we bring that message boldly and we we have great favour in Western Australia. And I've got to say, you know, I love Victoria, you know, the home of AFL, but Western Australia is our home in this season. And, you know, it was a great, sweet little thing to look at the AFL app last night and see that West Coast won by one point. <laughs> and just bring a bit of the West over. And I know the game was in Sydney, but you know, but we, we, I guess one of the things that we do is we, is we just come and we just try to encourage these young teenagers. We try and bring some hope and some purpose and some direction. And, uh, and one of the things that we also do is give this book away to the students and, and give that away. And we're looking forward to the week ahead that we have with Youth Alive as well here. And, uh, and But out of that, um, something was birthed for us ten, uh, around 10 years ago, and that was just for us to start going into the prison system. And so we just started outreaching and just start loving on those people. And, and we've seen God just do amazing things. And He's placed us in, in places of influence with government and, and, you know, with the prisoners and with their families. And, and, you know, it's just amazing what God has done. But you know what we've done? We've done one thing. We've just responded to the call that God placed upon our life. You know, one thing that we've continued to do is put God first. You know, Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added. You know, we haven't asked for the adding. We've just said, God, we put you first. God, we want to declare your goodness over our life and over our families. And, and you know, just to give you a bit of a, a background of what we do in the prisons, I've got a video and um, and, and I'd love to for you guys just to, to look at that and, uh, and just sort of see what we do there as well. That'd be great. My name is Valeria. I was first incarcerated in 1998. My life was damaged and I often thought that perhaps prison life was all I deserved. I was lost without purpose and so desperate to find change. Growing up in a broken home with learning struggles at school and feeling unloved, I began looking in all the wrong places to make some sense of life. I wanted to feel loved, to belong, but I just didn't know how. I ran away from home at 14, started drinking alcohol, smoking marijuana, and I started nightclubbing and injecting speed at 15. Drugs helped me to forget about my problems for a moment, but it was about to cause me a lifetime of misery. I met my first boyfriend at 16. I fell pregnant with my now beautiful daughter Demi, but because of my drug lifestyle, my mum took my daughter off me. I lost all sense of reality in 1998. I was arrested and taken into custody at Bandiup Women's Prison for the first time. 
I was 21. After coming out of prison for the third time, things got even worse. I met a boyfriend during this stint in prison and he was violent and I was back on drugs, doing crime and I would often fear for my life. I ended up falling pregnant and had twin boys and another son. Another extremely abusive relationship would see me fleeing to save both mine and now my children's lives. My drug addiction ruled my life and my boys were taken off me too. I felt as though I had lost everything, my reason for living. I was sent to prison for the fourth time in 2013. I was angry, I hated the world, but more than anyone, I hated myself. Another prisoner encouraged me to join Jade's program, Step Up. I was interested in fitness, but was about to learn things that would eventually change my life. Jade came in and shared her story, and I was convinced that if she could do it, then so could I. Her team always encouraged me and made me feel good about myself at a time when I didn't like myself. My relationship with my family strengthened because for the first time in a long time, I was drug free. My amazing mum cared for my children and still managed to support me during this time once released from prison, I joined Jade's mentoring program and was assigned a group of mentors which provided me with something that I have never had before. The accountability, support, the new friendships and connecting me into a local church have all been ways that have supported me in my transition back to the community. If it wasn't for this mentoring program, I believe I wouldn't be standing here today. My heart that used to be full of hate is now, by the grace of God, full of love. I have found a real purpose for my life and have discovered that life is about others and what I can give. Today, I have access back to my children. I have gone on to do further study. I volunteer for the Teen Challenge program and I get to share my story in schools. With the strong support of the community, I am grateful for my second chance. Isn't God so good? You know, Harry just restores a life. It gets me every time when I see her boys, you know, just coming and walking alongside her. Her boys now, they're getting connected into youth group and, and God's just really starting to move on their life and their heart as well, which is just fantastic. And just last weekend, you know, Val's one story of many stories of the ladies that we work with. Um, she got her own house and uh, moved in and it's just great just to see somebody been restored and, and, and you know I love what James 5 uh, 13 says that if any of you are suffering hardship let us pray and, and I really believe in the power of prayer and I, and I also sense this morning that there's some of you as the scripture says in Luke chapter 11 that you've been praying that you've been knocking you're saying God when am I going to see this breakthrough God when is this miracle going to happen I've been praying for my child I've been praying for my son when is it going to happen? Friend, I'm here to tell you that our God is the God of miracles. Our God is the God who can make the impact
impossible possible, you know. And so I want to encourage you, you know. I'm believing and I've been praying specifically for you in here today. And I'm going to pray with you shortly. And I'm believing that the very things that you've been pushing into, the very things that you've been asking God and you've saying, God, when is this going to happen? It's happening now, friend. There's things happening in the spiritual realm that have been wrestling, trying to stop the things that God has planned and installed for you and your children. And today is a significant day of change for you. Today is a significant change for your family. And for me, I, I never, I, you know, I, I had a family that would take me to church every single week. I grew up, you know, with loving parents who, who cared for me, with older, older brother, sorry, two older sisters and a younger brother. Uh, my sisters are much older than me, but I was a sort of boy who was always just getting into the wrong things. I was always the boy on the back row of church, kicking and messing around and, and talking and disturbing. But I was also that boy in the classroom and in the schoolroom. And, and from a young age, you know, from the ages of three, my parents realised I was really different because I didn't know how to talk and so one of the things that I would do was I would just walk up if we were out for dinner with mum and dad and just punch someone you know if I wanted some food or a drink or you know and it would bring great shame and and stuff on mum and dad and great embarrassment but I guess that was who I was as a young boy and because of this it brought great insecurity upon me and and I don't know about you, but I think some kids in schools can be pretty mean. And, and, you know, sometimes, you know, maybe they're just doing exactly what someone else has done to them. You know, they may be bullying because they were bullied or maybe because of an older brother or an older sister. And, and so for me, you know, I had many different names. You know, I was called useless, dummy, loser, all that kind of stuff. A teacher said that I would not be employable. And so I was in speech therapy right through until the ages of nine. And, and you know, I was even kept down in pre-primary. Now, who knows? Pre-primary is where you've got the butcher's paper out and your finger painting and all that kind of stuff. And it's a pretty easy year to pass, isn't it? You, you know, surely you can pass pre-primary, not Tristan. Now he's a dummy, this bloke. And so I started to believe those lies. I started to believe that I would amount to nothing, that I would be a nobody, you know. And so all these things, these words that were spoken over me, you know, and we understand, you know, if you are a Christian, and, and I don't know every one of you in here, but and if you've never asked Jesus into your heart, you know, I'm going to give you that opportunity to respond. And, and you know, your world will change forever. But the best thing about responding to something like that is actually now you're in right relationship with God. Now you're in the right place and right standing with God where you're going to spend eternity with Him in heaven. And, and I didn't know that and I didn't believe that. And, and mum and dad would take me to church like this every single week and I'd be kicking and I'd be screaming. And, you know, I was just, why do I have to go to church? And, and, and my father was quite an uh, authoritarian sort of a man. And, and so, so the image I had of God, the father was, you know, he was just up there whacking me. And because that's what my father was doing and, and, uh, and my dad was probably only really role modelling what his father had done to him. And, and so because of this, um, at the age of sort of 12, I started to work for my brother-in-law who had a business and, and, and he was much older than me, obviously, and he became my role model. He became a, a male voice that, that was speaking into my life and, and speaking into my circumstance and situation and 
And so he was drinking alcohol, you know, and, and he started to give me alcohol on a Thursday night and a Saturday. And he had the attitude that if you're old enough to work, you're old enough to drink. And, and so he would all, often pass me a drink. And, and, and so he'd always say, don't tell mum, don't tell dad, you, you know, don't tell your parents. And, and so he was teaching me to lie from a very young age. And, and so I remember I was at a Christmas party at a work function with him and, and, and you know, I was a straight F student in, in year eight and, and really had no purpose. I had no hope. I didn't have any direction. And, and it was sort of like, well, what's the point of life, you know? And, and I was already starting to make some wrong choices, hanging out with the wrong crew, wagging school, all that kind of stuff. And I found, you know, all of a sudden at this party, they were all started to share a cigarette. That's a bit strange. Who shares a cigarette, you know? It was actually a joint. And, and so it was actually at that point where I was first introduced to smoking marijuana, sort of, you know, almost at the age of 14. And, and, and you know, one of the, it was actually a family member, somebody who my parents trusted to be looking after me, someone who was meant to be caring for me. This was a very person who became, a, a, you, you know, a, a, almost like a, not a vo- he became a voice into my life and my situation and my circumstance. And, At that point, everything for me was about image because for so long, everything had been about the words that had been spoken over me. And so for me, all of a sudden, it was like, hey, guess what? You know, go back to my mates at school. You know, I got stoned on the weekend. You know, why don't you have some pot? I'll get some pot for you, you know, and then let's let's go down to the footy club. Let's, you know, have a few beers and all that kind of stuff. And the end of year nine came and, and I just didn't really like school. I was struggling. I was down Struggle Street and the decision was made with my parents to send me away to a boarding school. And, uh, and I thought, this is great. No more mum and dad to tell me what to do. And uh, boarding school is a lot harder than mum and dad. <laughs> a lot more rules, a lot more regulations. But I, started, I was doing what I was doing already, you know, hanging out with the wrong crew, drinking, smoking drugs. And I left there, finished year 12. And uh, anyway, I started working and, and I started to every night after work because I, I had that attitude, you know, if you're old enough to work, you're old enough to drink. And so I drink every single night. And pretty much as soon as I'd get my paycheck, I'd just go down to the pub and drink and drink and drink. And I didn't just have one drink. I would drink until I vomited every night. And that was a continuation as a young 17-year-old boy going on 18 and, 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 you know, 18 going on 19 and just no purpose, no hope. What's the point of life, you know? Uh, I had no direction and, and, and I was really frustrated and I, I really, you know, one of the things that I found the alcohol was sort of doing was just sort of, I was always felt empty, but it was just suppressing something in here. It was just suppressing the pain and, and I just wasn't dealing with things that I probably should have dealt with a lot earlier in life and, and then all of a sudden I woke up one morning and realised that actually I wasn't just an alcoholic. I had a raging drug addiction with marijuana and I couldn't stop it. I was actually rolling out of bed and grabbing the bong before I was even going into the work environment and starting to toke on that and then go to my workplace. And, you know, mum and dad didn't understand or know what I was involved in, but they were, they were involved in a church and they continued to pray for myself and my brother and and I thank God for the power of prayer. I thank you. I thank God that He answers prayers. You know, I thank I thank God that He's the God of the miracles and the miraculous, and that with Him that anything is possible. You know, and they continued. And and, and the thing is, is that you know when they found it hard, you know they were connected into the church, so they had their small group friends who they were connected with, praying with them as well. And, 
And so I, I remember having a conversation with dad and I said, you know, I smoke marijuana, but you're not going to be able to change it. And, uh, and I think, you know, he wasn't too impressed with that as a father wouldn't be. But, you know, I think that sort of increased their prayer life for me. And, and then all of a sudden I was, you know, selling marijuana hydroponically and I took a phone call and this guy asked me if I could sell him some ecstasy. I said, no problems. I remember in my heart, I just sort of sensed something in here saying, no, and I want to encourage you, you know, to allow peace to be your umpire in every decision that you make. And there was just something in here saying, no, don't do it. And I didn't listen to that. I didn't respond to that. I said to my best friend, I said, hey, let's just do it the one time. It's only once. And I remember there's something here saying, don't do it. And I was like, it's only one time. It's not really going to matter, is it? You know? And anyway, so we did. And after that first time for myself, it was the next weekend. Then the next weekend and the next weekend and the next weekend. And I could not stop. By the time I was 22, I had a raging speed addiction and, and, and you know, using basically any drug that I could find or get myself. And, uh, and I was dealing, I didn't care. I was running drugs through nightclubs in Western Australia and I didn't care whose life I destroyed. I remember at one point, I said to my younger brother, I said, hey, listen, why don't you take this pill? It's going to make you feel better. You know, the devil has a counterfeit for everything that God has for you and I. You know, and so that feeling that I was trying to make my brother go by is an absolute counterfeit for the presence of God, for what God has for you and for what He has for your family. And so I started to, you know, really stoop pretty low. I didn't care whose life I destroyed, but the only thing that was driving me was the addiction. And I remember at the age of 23, I walked into this house and I threw the drugs on the table. Next thing I heard was police, police, police. Literally, I thought they fell from the ceiling. You know, they came through windows, they came through doors. I ran through the first doorway, the second doorway. It was a bathroom, it was a dead end. I spun out of there as quick as I could. And anyway, a cop's jumped out of the shower and next thing my head's on the ground. I was set up, if you haven't worked that out now by now. And next thing there's guns in my head and screaming, shouting, complete chaos in that moment. And I just remember in my heart, I cried out. I said, God, if you're real, I need your help. It was just a genuine cry in here. God, I need your help. You know, nothing changed. God didn't speak to me audibly or anything like that. But I believe that it was a prayer, you know, and a genuine prayer. And God started to shift some things in the spiritual. God started to shape some things for my future. And so I cried that out and then I was taken to lock up. I was interrogated for over 12 hours. And, and I remember, you know, then they've taken my fingerprint, my DNA, and I've gone on the drug database and there should be, could be a picture of me. Um, that'd be cool. And uh, not really that cool, but, you know, yeah, so that's my mugshot. Not very attractive, is it? And uh, that was the very moment after that where I had to pick, go down and pick up the phone and say, hey, Dad, listen, I need you to come and bail me out. And he said, what, what's happened, son? He, you know, is it alcohol? And I said, no, it's drugs. And, you know, he called me a couple of names. And, and uh, anyway, he came and then he bailed me out. And, and it was just like, you know, um, it was then it was a journey of like, well, I wasn't living for anything anyway. So who cares? It doesn't matter. You know, so I hit the drugs even harder. I thought my, way, my life's wasted. I don't care what happens. 
And I remember my sister coming to me and she said, hey, listen, you've got a problem, you know. And mum and dad then all of a sudden said, look, we really want to help you, Tristan. We really want to help you. And I said, you know, I don't need help. There's nothing wrong. And I was in complete denial and continuing to run from the very place that God wanted me to walk into. And I honestly believe that the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy from John 10.10. But Jesus comes that we can have abundant life. And, and you see, you know, God had a special plan for me as He does for you. But the thief was doing his best to bring destruction, to rob me of that very plan and that very purpose. And I had fallen into that very trap. And then all of a sudden they said to me, look, we want you to go down to this drug rehab called Teen Challenge. And uh, it's a fantastic drug rehabilitation centre with a terrific success rate. And, and, you know, one of the things I did was I responded. There was just that soft, still voice here. And I said, yeah, I've got to go. It's the right thing for me to do. And anyway, I responded again. I didn't know at that time it was God speaking to me. I didn't know it was God drawing me. And they do church every day. I love church every day. I think it's the greatest thing. And I just remember every single day, it was the same as school. You know, I'd walk in, I'd sit on that back row and there'd be soft, still voice saying, Tristan, I want you to give your life to me. It was so soft. My response was with such arrogance and pride. It was, I'm only here to get out of jail. I'd leave there, come back the next day. It would be the same soft, still voice saying, Tristan, I want you to give your life to me. Would just be so gentle. And this continued on day after day after day after about five weeks. I remember I was just reading the Bible as you have to in the program there, and I was reading Psalm 52. And it said, You love lying, you love deceitfulness. I'm going to take you out of the land of the living and put you in a dry and desertless place. And Teen Challenge in Western Australia is nine hours south of Perth, the city, you know. And it was just like, man, I'm in a dry and desolate place. I mean, I'm in, a, I'm in a place of no man's land. And it was at that point I just got on my knees and I just surrendered. And I said, God, would you forgive me? I said, God, would you forgive me? And you know, in that moment, He forgave me. Just in that moment, 1 John 1, 9 says that, you know, if we confess our sins, that He is faithful to forgive us of all of our wrongs. In that moment, I knew that something had changed, you know. And so I found myself, you know, they had a travelling preacher coming through the, the next night and I couldn't even tell you what he spoke about or prayed, you know, um, or, you know, his message. But I remember when he did an altar call, I just went to the front, just knew that I needed to go to the front. I remember he laid hands on me. Literally, as he laid hands on me, the fire of God hit me. And I was filled in the Holy Spirit and I was praying in a heavenly language. And I felt such a freedom. And I knew that the drugs was an absolute counterfeit for the very presence that God had for every believer and every non-believer. That the presence of God was the very thing that I'd been searching for. That relationship with God, that, that thing that I'd been suppressing and, and filling with alcohol and drugs and, and substance abuse. That when I asked Jesus into my heart, that emptiness left me, that void left me instantly. And I was set free at that moment, no more addiction. I was only at Teen Challenge for three months and had to come back to Perth. And, and I remember, you know, going to court to face the charges. And I remember the, the lawyers having their debate and the judge addressing me. And he said, Tristan, 
You know, it's fantastic that you've gone to this drug rehabilitation centre. I, I see that. You know, I see that you've changed. I've read the reports. And, and right at that moment, he said, but you leave me no option but to sentence you to, to imprisonment. And, uh, and my sentence was 12 years, but the judge put it concurrent that meant it was two years. That was an absolute miracle of God in that courtroom, an absolute miracle in that courtroom. There is no way that I should have ever been given two years imprisonment. No way. It was an absolute, and I'll say it again, it was a miracle of God. It was God's divine hand upon that judge in that courtroom. But I responded with a prayer, God, my life is yours. And God started to move miraculously and I was sent to jail and I was so angry at God. Why do I have to go to jail? It's not fair. But God had me exactly where He needed me. He started to speak to me about a couple of specific things, about a relationship that I was involved in, that He needed me to cut the ties and, and, the, and the, guy, the dealers that I was associating with that I needed to cut the ties and break those things. And, and so I was there for a reason and it was just me, myself, you know, and the Holy Spirit and God and I just continued to pray every night. I was a brand new Christian. I didn't know how to live as a Christian. I didn't know how to do the Christian thing and then I found myself... You know, been released from jail within the first weekend, associating with the guys that I'd been associating with before. First weekend, back in the nightclubs, taking drugs. I'd come home, I'd be like, man, I just, this isn't right. But I just didn't know how to live as a Christian. And this continued on for, you know, around four weeks. And I remember I was in this hotel room and I looked around and there were just drugs everywhere. And I just really felt God say to me, you know, if the police walk in here, your life's over. And so for me, I just went, I said to the guys, I've got to go. And I, I went to the lobby and I did a Forrest Gump. I ran and I ran and I ran and I ran. You know, um, I love the scripture, Philippians chapter 3. You know that we leave our past behind and we press on to the very call, the very future, the very purpose that God has for us. I didn't know that's what I was doing at that time or in that moment. But I knew that I just had to try to leave that, uh, that past behind. I didn't know how I was going to do it. I didn't have Christian friends. I didn't have that, you know. And so I remember I came home and I said, God, I don't know how to be a Christian. I don't know how to do it. And the presence of God just filled my room. It's filled my room. And God said, I've called you, Tristan. I have a plan. I have a purpose. You know, and at that moment, I remember I rang my, the only Pentecostal person I knew, my sister. <laughs> and, and she said to me, hey, listen, come and meet my pastor. And so, you know, um, I remember I came to the church and, and I was sitting on the back row, gold chains and all that kind of stuff, real chip on my shoulder, fresh out of jail. And he just started prophesying over me. And he said, Tristan, you know, God has a plan. He has a future. You're going to be studying the Word of God. And, and like, what? I'm going to be what? You're studying the Bible? no. And anyway, then literally a man somewhere in the auditorium stood up and he said, and I'm going to pay for his Bible college fees. Wow. Oh, well, I guess that's what I'm doing. <laughs> guess that's what I'm doing. I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't have a purpose. I didn't have, you know, but God just intervened. God gave me a purpose all of a sudden. I was like, well, if this is what you say, God, this is what I'm doing, you know. And I remember, you know, they, they, they passed the, the tithes around and I turned to my sister 
And I said, what's tithing? And that's literally how unchurched I was. I had no idea. And since that day, I've never missed a week. I've continually given to God week in, week out, week in. Love giving to God because He's given me His gun. He's given me a second chance at life. And, and I've received that second chance. And, and you know, from there, I didn't really know what was going to happen or what was going to happen, but God all of a sudden opened up a door for me to be serving in the youth team. And then I was running and leading, you know, lunchtime programs and breakfast programs. And then I met my amazing wife, who's an absolute firecracker, who's going to bless you guys tonight. And, you know, whatever questions we can help with you guys tonight, we want to help as much as we can. And uh, because we don't want to see young people making the same mistakes that we made, you know. And so if we can help, we want to help. And so, you know, um, and it was just such a, it was just God appointment after God appointment. I remember I was studying the Bible and in Bible college and, and serving in a church and I started to work for this, for this business. And, and then they took me on and started to employ me full time. But I was in Bible college three days a week and with all my holiday pay and everything. And it was just the favour of God, you know. And so it doesn't matter what circumstance or what situation you're facing today. I really believe that God can change that situation. That God can turn that situation around for you, for your family, for your friend, for your son, for your daughter doesn't matter what you're walking through. I believe in the God of miracles. And I believe that God has a miracle for you here today. All we have to do is respond, you know. James 5.13, I said it before, if any of you are suffering hardship, let us pray. Let us pray. In just a moment, I'm going to pray with you guys. I was in my last year of Bible college and that's where I met my wife and, and uh, you know, Towards the end of that, they were doing a bike ride, going into talking to students about drugs, and I was invited to go on that journey with them. And, and I met her and, and thought, wow, this is an amazing girl. She's a beautiful lady of God. I really like her. And so I pursued the relationship and God did amazing things there. Now we've got three amazing children and God has completely restored us. God has restored my relationship with my mother and with my father, with my, my sisters and my brother. And God is a restoring God. Doesn't matter how dark, how isolated, how lonely, no matter what you've been walking through, no matter what your situation has been or is, our God can answer and has answered those prayers in this place today. I would love, could we just close our eyes? Trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.